0: If you were here last week, I shared a message called To Know His Worth, and we looked at how Mary comes in at this dinner that they have for Jesus in celebration and uh, as, a, as a sign of gratitude for what Jesus did for Lazarus in raising her brother from the dead. And, uh, and to honor him, um, she takes this alabas- alabaster flask that's filled with this very, very expensive perfume. We said last week about, if you work out the value of it, it's about two hundred and fifty thousand rand worth of perfume. Like, I don't know how expensive your perfume is. I know if perfume is pretty expensive, but that's like next level kind of stuff. That's like, what should I buy? A car or some perfume, you know? Um, really, really expensive. And she just pours it out on the feet of Jesus, and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Judas, who is sitting there, has already decided in his heart that he's going to betray Jesus. He's about to betray Jesus. This is the night before Jesus was betrayed and uh and in his heart he's already decided that he's going to betray jesus and so he waves the flag of morality like a lot of people do who don't have genuine value on what jesus has done for them who don't really see the worth of jesus Um, and he starts to say hey but what about the poor Uh, he could have he doesn't care about the poor scripture tells us he didn't care about the poor Um, he was just greedy for the money and he couldn't understand why somebody would pour out something so valuable on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus tells Judas to keep quiet and says, don't corrupt her, essentially don't corrupt her with your thinking because she is doing this for my day of burial. In other words, she gets who I am. She gets why I'm going to die for her. She understands my worth. And so you have this contrast between what happens in a person's life when they understand the worth of Jesus compared to somebody who doesn't have a genuine revelation of the cross, who doesn't have a genuine revelation of the gospel. And, and, uh, and, and we know that Judas ultimately sold Jesus out for 30 silver pieces, which is equivalent to 10,000 rand. So he was willing to sell out Jesus for 10 grand, whereas Mary was pouring out 250 on the feet of Jesus, just washing his feet with her hair. And, uh, and today we go into John chapter number 13, which is in that same setting, um, just it says before the, the, the Feast of the Passover, this is that, that, that same night that Jesus was gonna be betrayed. And, um, and we see the tables turning, we see how Mary washes Jesus' feet, but in this scripture, we see how Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And there's some just incredibly awesome things in this text that I'd like to lift out again today, like we've been doing every week, um, as we just see more of Jesus through the Gospel of John. So let's go to John chapter number 13, in verse number one, I'm going to read uh, 12 verses here, quite a bit of the story, um, and, uh, and then we're going to delve into that. So John chapter number 13 and verse one says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knew that he was going back to the Father. The hour had come, the time had come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Don't you love that? That God doesn't just love us in moments, that God doesn't just love us on a Sunday morning, that God doesn't just love us uh, when we stand in worship and, and when our lives are perfect, but He loves us to the end. That's the love of our Father. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. You have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet. I mean, he's always all or nothing. He's like, no, don't. Okay, wash everything, right? Not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. what I have done to you? Do you understand what I have done to you? I want to share a message with you today entitled, Let Jesus Wash Your Feet. Let Jesus Wash Your Feet. And I'm hoping we can answer that question uh, today and in increasing measure as we continue on this journey, as to do we understand what Jesus has done for us and to us? Do we really grasp the gospel. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to get stuck into this. Father, this morning we thank you that you are the one who stooped down low, who came to us, who washed us. We thank you for the washing of the water of your word, that we are clean because of the truth that we have heard and that we have believed. We thank you, Father, that we are sanctified. That we thank you, Jesus, that we are are, are the righteousness of God through our faith in Christ Jesus. And as your children, we sit here today. And we ask that you would increase and enlarge our understanding of the gospel. We pray that you would cause us to depend on it more thoroughly than we ever have before, Father God. We pray that we would truly understand that what it is that you have done for us, Jesus. And, uh, and Lord, we, we, we pray that that would increase and increase and increase and increase until we come to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. Each one of us mature, knowing how to walk with you, knowing how to relate with you, knowing how to enjoy our relationship with our Father. And so we give you all the glory for this time that we have together as, as a church. Uh, we just honor you, Father God, in this place. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like most boys, if you are the uh, the parents of boys, or probably kids in general, but like most boys, my boys love playing outside. Doesn't matter how cold it is. They've even learnt, uh, you know, it's winter, and oftentimes we'll tell them you have to stay inside. Um, it's too cold, and, uh, and and they would just be like, no, we don't feel the cold. Uh, we were out yesterday um, and uh, earlier this week as well with Kieran and Jamie, and they've got a, a little boy, Caleb, as well. I think he's three now, right? And and, uh, and Caleb was at one, at one point, I can't even remember where it was or when it was, but at one point it's like freezing cold. It, oh, it was actually at night, um, in, uh, when we were hanging out at Monty and Caleb just doesn't have a shirt on. He's just like, no, I'm cool. I'm cool like this. We're all sitting there with jackets and stuff. And, and that's just how kids are. They love, uh, you know, not having all the, the correct clothing or not wearing shoes. My boys, when it's, when it's summer, they don't want to wear shoes at all. They just want to be barefoot. They kick off their shoes in the car on the way to school already, and, uh, and in the process, as boys, they get themselves very, very dirty whenever they're, they're out in the playground, and there's a lot of sand around. Sometimes I, I'm literally pouring uh, sand, like this mini desert just coming from their shoes. We, we're slowly but surely stealing all of the school sand. Um, soon we'll have a, an, an awesome um, sand pit. Um, but... Uh, but my boys will play outside, and, and we have one area uh, where they, where in the back of our yard where grass hasn't really grown. And, uh, and they'll sit there in the mud, and they'll find anything to dig with, and they'll just dig. And I've got some photos of the three of them sitting next to each other just essentially digging uh, f- for no particular reason except because it's fun to dig and to, and to play with sand. And, and so they'll be digging in the backyard and messing around, and sometimes uh, there'll be some water involved, and it'll become muddy, and they just get so dirty that uh, before I can let them back in the house, you know, I just first of all have to wipe their faces to make sure that they're mine, um, and then once I've established that they are actually my children, um, I also don't want them to walk in with dirty feet into the house and uh, just to soil everything and, and dirty the carpets or whatever, and so um, I'll often uh, take them out to the tap that we have outside and, and wash them before I bring them into the house. Um, and, and, and when I, when I see my, my, my boys and I see how dirty they are, I really have one of two logical options that I can take considering how dirty they are. And the first one um, is to just disown them as my children and, and leave them outside indefinitely. You know, just like, no, I don't know you. I don't know you. You know, um, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say that I've been tempted because in the future they, they may listen to this recording and, and have a crisis of identity. But um, But, you know, I have that option. I could say, you're too dirty now. Your face is dirty, your feet are dirty, your hands are dirty, my house is clean inside, and so you're not welcome back. You're no longer my kids (laughs) from this moment forth. Man, they would be harsh. Um, But because I love my boys, I normally opt for the second option, um, which is to take them to the tap that we have outside and to wash their feet. They're still my boys, they're just sometimes a little bit dirty, and I need a clean their feet. And normally the time when this is happening is when it's dinner time. Um, They were next door during the public holiday. They climbed over the wall, all three of them. And we didn't see them the entire day because they had met some kids next door. And uh, they just hung out there the entire day. And so at one point I had to pick them back up over the wall, each one of them individually. And the reason why we did that is it's dinner time. It's time for you to come in and eat with us. It's time for you to come and sit at the table. And we have dinner together as a family. And here in John 13, the first thing that this verse tells us in John 13 verse 1 is that it was the, the time of the, of the feast of the Passover. And this was dinner time. This was the, the time of, of that last supper. It was a time when Jesus was going to sit and have fellowship and have communion with his disciples as family. That's what Jesus invites us into when we come into the gospel. We're not coming into a program. We're not coming into a religion. We're not joining a club. We're actually becoming family. I mean, I don't know how you feel about the person sitting next to you right now, but you might as well get to like them because you're going to be together forever, right? In eternity, forever. We're not just a family for here on this earth for the here and now, but how amazing is it that once we're all old and once we've all passed on, that we will be in heaven together and we can high five each other and be like, hey, Anchor Church, that was awesome. I remember that, you know, and, um, and, and we're going to be a family forever. So when God invites us, the Bible says that he sets the lonely, those that are lonely, and he sets them in a family. And that's what God does. He, he takes us from being lonely, from being on our, uh, in our own strength and uh, working and operating in our, on our own steam. And he sets us in a family where the scriptures say again and again and again and again, there is space for us at the table. That gives me a throwback to that, uh, uh, you know, that old song that said, that there is, there's space for you at the table of the Lord. Google it afterwards. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. Um, it's just an awesome old song that says, there, there is acceptance for you. At the table of the Lord, every one of us gets to sit at that table. I remember being in a in a. Sometimes when I when I go to different churches and you go into the speakers lounge or the guest lounge, I remember several times I've been in different lounges where um, I was I was I was important enough or enough of a pastor to be in there, but not enough of not important enough to be like at the main table. And so like I'm always at like the little table with the finger snacks. Hey guys. Good to see you, you know. And they're like at the big table with like the plated meals. I'm like, one day, one day, plated meal, but um, it's fun. But uh, but you know, in God's kingdom, it doesn't work that, like that. There's no, there's no second rate citizens in the kingdom of God. There's no. Some people are just this amaz- We're all accepted at the table of the Lord. And even even in this situation, again, there's this incredible acceptance that they have. And um, and so they're sitting around the table and they're about to have this meal that would become one of the most famous, if not the most famous and important and critical meals of, in all of history um, at the time of the Last Supper. And so they're, they're sitting there and, and what the custom was in those days, and I went through the Old Testament and there's so many scriptures that I can show you to show that this is a genuine thing. Um, But the custom was in those days that if you had had taken a bath or whatever, uh, you would be clean. But as you walked around, they mostly wore sandals and it's very dusty out in the Middle East and they're walking around and your feet would literally get filthy from walking around. And so because also of how low the tables were in in those days, um, if you had dirty feet, It would be like the evidence abounds, you know, that there's some dirty feet around this table. And so it was a full-on custom, and and it was accepted that you couldn't eat until you had washed your feet. You needed to have clean feet at the table. Um, And so these these, uh, disciples are all sitting around the upper room, and um, normally you would have a servant come in. Or somebody of low stature who would come in and then wash your feet for you if you, if you didn't do it for yourself. Um, they would normally have servants for important meals that would come in and wash your feet. And so they're all sitting there and they're, they're super hungry, but there's no one to wash their feet. And, um, and so they're kind of sitting around for a while at the table. Um, And it's similar to what we have today with washing of hands before you eat. And we see in Genesis 18, I wanted to just show you this verse. Genesis 18 verse 2 says, When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found, this is Abraham, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He calls himself a servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And there's many, many scriptures, if you search that out in the Old Testament, where it says that before they ate, um, they were offered water or their feet were washed for them. So, so that was a, a thing that was a custom of the day. And, uh, and here they are, they're hungry, but there's no one present to wash their feet. And so Jesus, in this beautiful act of humility, gets up himself. I mean, just picture that for a moment as you have... The creator of heaven and earth, John 1 verse 1 starts off with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and th- through him, all things that are made are made. Nothing that exists today wasn't uh, created without the assistance of Jesus. It was through Jesus that all things are made. And this same creator of the universe, the same savior of, of, of humanity, this, this God that we have, he gets up where he is sitting with some, some disciples of his, most of them that come from a background that isn't glorious, that they were fishermen or tradesmen, or whatever it may be, and the creator of heaven and earth gets up, takes off his outer garment. In other words, he takes off any kind of, the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself, not considering equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself and made himself like a lowly servant. It's just the heart of Jesus. It says the Bible says, let the same attitude be in you. He takes off the outer garment and he ties a towel around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet before the dinner. Before they're able to eat together, before they're able to have fellowship together, he washes their feet. And this is just one of the most beautiful images in scripture as Jesus stoops down To wash his disciples' feet, which is essentially a a quick summary of the entire gospel as Jesus stepped down out of heaven to come and wash our dirty feet. It just doesn't even sound right, does it? It doesn't even sound fair. It's mind-boggling that God would step out of heaven to come and wash your feet, your dirty feet, my dirty feet, so that we could have fellowship with him, so that we could have supper with him. But it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's always what motivates the action of God is his love, is how much he cares. It's just, he was willing. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That joy was you. It was your life. It was this relationship that you have with God right now. That's the joy that was set before him. And for that, God the Father sent His only Son to die for us, stepping down out of heaven, making Himself a servant of all. Jesus made this very clear. He didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come here to conquer the world. He will do that as in the fullness of time. But what it says there in Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. That was his service, giving his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus gets down and he starts washing their their feet. And uh, can you just think for a moment, if Jesus was physically here this morning, and he kind of came and, and shared, and he's here in church. I mean, we know he is here but imagine if he was here physically, and he just he kind of kneels down, and he, he takes some water. He gets some water at the back and gets, gets a towel, ties it around his waist, and he starts taking your shoes off. This is Jesus. He starts taking your shoes off, and you're thinking, man, I don't even know if I've clipped my toenails uh, this week. And, um, and, and like, man, I knew, I knew I should have taken a shower. I knew I should have. The one morning that I don't is the morning that Jesus arrives and takes off my shoes, Um, and, uh, but can you just imagine if Jesus, like, what our reaction would be in that moment, if you had somebody really, really important, um, and we can't even put any comparison towards Jesus, but can you just imagine that for a moment, what your reaction would be? Instantly, the feeling is one of, I'm not worthy of this, right? I don't know what you would, that would be me, it's like, I totally get Peter's response here, I'm just like, no, no. are you going to wash my feet? Are you nuts? I mean, come on, this is, no, this is not the way that it should work. Like, where's the 250,000 rand perfume? Let's do that again. I'll wash your feet. I'll use my hair. It's short, but, you know, I'll do it. And, um, and let's rather do that. You know, why would I let Jesus wash my feet? We would just feel so inadequate and so unworthy and so vulnerable in that moment. Just exposed. Like, God, that's like the, the worst part of me. A lot of people feel that way. I've met some people that they like, they won't even take off their shoes, like, in the presence of, like, any person except maybe their husband or their wife because they just don't like feet whatsoever. It's, it's kind of like the worst part of you. It's like, why would I let Jesus come to the worst part of me? Why would I expose the worst part of myself to Jesus? So Simon Peter, he's totally like, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him. He says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand it, but afterwards you'll understand. And, Jesus said, and, and uh, Peter said to Jesus, You'll never wash my feet. No ways am I going to allow this to happen. So Peter, out of, out of perhaps that sense of, of vulnerability and, and being exposed and shame, or maybe it was even out of pride, he refuses for Jesus to wash his feet. And Jesus then replies, he says, If I do not wash you, you have no share in me. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Jesus is using this moment again to... Express the truth of the gospel, to express how the gospel works and what it is that he came to do for us. And ultimately, what he says is that unless I wash you, you can't have any share in me. In other words, he's saying, Peter, let me wash your feet because you need to be washed, you need to be cleansed, you need to be saved. Because unless we allow Jesus to save us, we cannot be saved. There's nothing that we can do to cleanse ourselves of our own unrighteousness. It would be like trying to to, uh, wash yourself in a bath full of muddy water that's dirty. Trying to wash yourself with dirty water. The very thing that you're trying to cleanse yourself with is the thing that's dirty. And so you can never cleanse yourself. You can never cleanse save yourself. You can never remove your own unrighteousness by way of your own effort. And if we're not cleansed of unrighteousness, then we can have no fellowship. Then we can't come in the house. Then we can't come and hang out with our Father. Then we can't have that relationship with Jesus. So Jesus says, this is actually more important than what you realize, Peter. If you don't let me wash your feet. In other words, if you don't submit to the righteousness of God, if you don't let me come into your life in order to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, then there's no way for you to be connected to the Father and to have a relationship with God. And that is why a lot of people struggle in their relationship with God or to even have a relationship with God because they constantly think that they have to cleanse themselves before God will accept them. That's how we feel. Hey, Jesus, um, it's awesome that you're washing feet. That's really cool. Um, Can we schedule this for the same time tomorrow? I'll go home and wash them, kind of pre-wash them a little bit. And then it'll be way better next time. You know, then I'll let you, then it'll be fine. In other words, Jesus, just come and add to my own righteousness that I've kind of gathered up a little bit. And Jesus goes, no ways. Then you can have no share in me. We take... The ugliest parts of ourselves. We take the the, the sinfulness. We take the failure. We take the, the rotten core of our humanity and we put it before God and we say, that's all I have to offer. And he goes, that's why I'm here. The only thing we have to offer God in our own selves is our sinfulness. There's nothing good in us that we can say, hey God, this is awesome. Can you add to my awesomeness by some of your awesomeness? No, it's all or nothing. Let me wash your feet In John 1, verse 27, we see something similar happening with John the Baptist. We saw this right in our first week on, in the, the Gospel of John, where uh, John is preaching, John the Baptist is preaching about Jesus, and it says, He who comes after me, speaking about Jesus, whose strap, the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. So I'm not even worthy of going near the feet of Jesus. I can't even untie the little strap on his sandal, which again is related to this. Thing. It's like the lowest part of Jesus is the strap of his sandal. Like, I mean, in, 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 for, for any normal person, that's just like, it's the strap of your sandal. I mean, it's the lowest of the, of, of, of the low. But he goes, I'm not even worthy of untying that. That's how worthy Jesus is. So he comes to John a little bit later, and we see this in Matthew 3.13. And it says, then Jesus came to Galilee, to John, at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. But John prohibited him. This is the same thing that that Peter was doing. He prohibited him. He stopped Jesus. He said, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? It's the same thing. Peter was like, I need to wash your feet. You can't come and wash my feet. But Jesus answered him and said, Let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John, or then he, permitted him. It is fitting for us to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Man, it's like Jesus is going, we keep wanting to resist Jesus. You know why? In our own lives. You know why we resist Jesus? You know why we resist the grace of God? You know why we resist God's presence in our lives? because we see ourselves as unworthy of being in fellowship with him. Like, no, 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 we need to earn your favor, Jesus. We need to work for our righteousness, Jesus. We need to do stuff so that you can accept us, Jesus. And Jesus goes, that's futile. Nobody can earn it. You're not even worthy to untie the strap, never mind wash his feet. So twice here, and and many more times in scripture, the message is, let Jesus save you surrender your own innate desire to save yourself and let him save you. Let him wash your feet. It's like, ah, when we say that, it's like, no. That's the gospel. That's faith. It's going, I don't deserve this, but this is the love of God, so I receive it. I receive Jesus into my life. I receive the grace of God, the gift of salvation into my life. It's proper for us, Jesus says, to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. It's proper for us, I'm going to say that again, to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now, the baptism is a symbol of death, of the old self, the one that wants to clean itself, the one that wants to fix itself, the one that wants to, you know, rectify itself. The only way to fulfill all righteousness is for that old self to be crucified and to be be crucified with Christ through faith. It's for it to be baptized into death. You notice that? There's no scriptures that say, please take your old dirty self and just fix it up a little bit. God is not walking, if this is like a home makeover, God's not walking in going, hey, this, is, this place is trash, but let's see what we can do. Now God says, demolish it. I become the foundation. We build a brand new house here. This is, this is a new life. Somebody once said that God doesn't offer us a changed life. He offers us an exchanged life. It's a brand new life. He doesn't try, listen to me, don't try and fix your sinful self. Die through faith of that to fulfill all righteousness in Christ through the grace of God. Does that make sense this morning? In other words, we've got to die of our attempts to save ourselves, our own self-righteousness. And let Jesus be the one who cleanses us. It's interesting that Jesus, in that moment, uh, the scripture tells us, it calls him Simon Peter. Jesus came to Simon Peter. Normally it just says Peter because that's the name that Jesus had given Simon after he he, uh, stepped into into Simon's life. From now on you will be known as Peter. But now the scripture calls him Simon Peter. Because it's like when you resist the grace of God, when you, when you want to work for your own self, when you want to clean your own feet, it's like you forget who you are in Christ. You're going back to the old way of thinking, which is that I need to save myself. When you're in the gospel, you understand that I'm saved by Jesus. Then you walk fully in your new identity. But when you're still going, oh, Jesus, it's great that you saved me, but I still need to cleanse myself. Okay, you're back into your old identity. Now you're Simon Peter again. You're Simon Petering this thing up again. And Jesus is saying, I need you in your full identity of who you are. Stop. I've, I've preached this at so many different places. But if Jesus has saved you, stop trying to save yourself. You're resisting the washing of your feet. You're resisting the sanctification of God. It takes faith. So Peter, he goes, okay. Okay, God. That's awesome. So don't just wash my feet. I mean, don't stop there. But also wash my hands and my head. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, even logistically, Jesus is like, I'm not going to do that. But, um, but Jesus says, so Jesus replies. So Peter's like, okay, wash me again, Lord, wash me again. Can't tell you how many times I, I prayed that prayer, uh, you know, where, where, where I've had a walk with God, and then I feel like I've had a great week, and then I'm like, that's awesome, but then there's weeks where I'm like, okay, I failed this week. And then I'm like, okay, God, like just save me all from scratch again. Like I just need a, can we just push a reset and I'll, this, this is my second chance, meaning 700,000th chance um, for me to live this perfect life that I'm supposed to live. So it's like reset back to, back to scratch again and like, okay, Jesus, just bathe me from scratch. And uh, Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, he says. You are clean. Not every one of you, he knew about Judas and what was going on in Judas's heart, and I'll touch on that in a moment. But you're clean. He says to his disciples, in a later place in scripture again, he says, you are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. You know what's amazing? Paul writes a letter, and you can check this out. Paul writes a letter to, to the church in Corinth that is caused, caught up in all kinds of, of sinfulness and he's about to rebuke them for the stuff that they're getting into as Simon Peters as people that are not walking in the fullness of their identity in Christ. And uh, and he's about to rebuke them and he starts off by calling them blameless in the, in the greeting. I'm I'm so grateful for you that you're blameless. I'm so grateful for you that you've been perfected in Christ. I'm so grateful for you that you're that you're all of these things that you're perfect. Can you imagine um, when you're about to correct somebody and the first thing that you say is, listen, you're perfect. You're perfect. That's how Paul writes his letters. Because he's reminding them of who they are because he's about to tell them that their behavior is not lining up with who they are. That's the key to walking in the fullness of what Jesus has for you. So Jesus says, you're already clean. I don't need to wash you again, Peter. We don't need to go through this whole thing again. You are already clean. And so there's two things that we actually see coming out in this scripture, two parts of our process with Jesus. And the first one is that Jesus cleanses us from our sin and sinfulness completely. There are multiple verses that I can show you. I'll show you one this morning, but there are multiple verses that I can show you that that says that the death Jesus died to sin, he died once and for all. And once and for all, he put to death the body of sin. He doesn't need to, every time you, uh, you, know, you sin or you fail, he needs to come down out of heaven and, and be crucified all over again. In fact, the Bible says that when you, when you go back to the law, that's what you're doing, you're crucifying Christ again. You're saying that what he did on the cross wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, but the scriptures, it, says, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, it says for, the, for every year in Israel, they needed to sacrifice lambs and goats and bulls because the, the, cover, the sins were only covered, but those sacrifices could never take away the sins of the world. But it tells us, but now through one single sacrifice, Christ has once and for all dealt with sin. So, you're completely clean the moment you put your your faith in Jesus. You're washed in the water of the word. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 14, for by a single offering, one single offering, he has perfected. There's that word, perfect. For how long? How long has Jesus perfected us for? For like a moment? For a day? For until the next time we fail? Now, in a single offering on the cross, Jesus has perfected for all time, all of eternity, all those who are being sanctified. I love that. Because to be sanctified means to be perfected and to be changed. So what the scripture is ultimately saying is by one single offering, Jesus perfected all those who he is now perfecting. And this is the same thing that he was saying. This, 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 this verse sums up what we're seeing here in the book of John. He goes, you're completely clean, but I'm still washing your feet. As you walk out in the world, as you, as you still deal with certain things, as you get yourself dirty, as you fail, as you, you are already perfectly clean, but I'm, I, who's the one doing the cleansing? It's Jesus. We wanna resist, but he goes, I am still perfecting you. In other words, who we are, We need to become as people who we already are. We are already perfect. We are already blameless in Christ. We are already perfectly holy. But our lifestyles and our minds and our thinking and our perspectives need to line up with who we already are. That's the process of sanctification. You're already perfect. But now I'm also perfecting you. Jesus goes, You're already washed. You're already cleansed. You're, you've already been bathed. I don't need to do that again. But what I am doing is I'm changing your heart. I'm changing your thinking. I'm washing your feet. Isn't it incredible to know that, that we're always welcome in God's house? Like, like I, I thought about this with my own son. Can you, can you imagine what, you, you answer the question for me, like? what would make my son a rebel? If I said to him, One of two things. Boy, no matter what you do, I always want the best for you. I want you to do the the right things. I want to lead you in those things. But no matter what you ever do, you're my son, and I'll always love you. No matter what. You'll always be my boy. And I say that to my boy. Or if I said, boy, you know, dad really loves you, but if you do this one more time, you'll no longer be my son. Which one's going to create a rebel? And and that's the scary thing, because that's how we see God. Now, Jesus goes, I don't need to wash you again, Peter. You're already accepted here at the table. But I do still want to do some work in your life. I still need to, to wash your feet so that by a single offering, he can perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. There's two ways that we miss the truth of the gospel. The first way is by not letting Jesus wash our feet because we're determined to cleanse our own selves. And the second way is by wanting Jesus to rewash your whole self every time. Those are the two ways that you miss the gospel. But Like, no, Jesus, you can't do this. And like, Jesus, do it all over again, Jesus. Walking in the truth of the gospel is in the middle there. It's like I'm perfected in Christ, but my lifestyle. And we're passionate about that. That's why we're on a journey together this is part of Jesus washing your feet. When you hear the word, you're being washed continually. That's what the scriptures say. So your feet are being washed when you hear the word and the truth of the gospel and you're growing. This is part of your journey. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 that we are being transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we behold Jesus, as as in uh, his glory as in a mirror. We are transformed from glory to glory into the image of his son by the Holy Spirit. That's the work that God's doing in your life right now. But where does it come from? It comes from beholding Jesus. As we behold his glory, as we look at the gospel, as we put our faith in the gospel, he changes us. If you want to be changed, you want to live a righteous, holy, pure life, which is what we're passionate about, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how you're changed. That's how you're delivered from sin. You don't deliver yourself from sin. You don't have the strength to do that. Doing it is foolishness and it's pride. We only get delivered through Jesus. All right, I'm almost done today. I just wanted to touch on uh, Judas and and his heart in this moment because we see something completely different. And this is that you can allow Jesus, because Judas is there, Judas is having his feet washed by, by Jesus. But Jesus knows what's in Judas's heart. In the same way, Jesus died for the sins, the Bible tells us, of the whole world. Yet, not everybody receives what Jesus has done in their, for, for them in their hearts, right? So, in other words, being cleansed by Jesus is more than going through the motions. Okay, Jesus, I'll go to church. Okay, Jesus, I'll be a part of a church somewhere. Okay, Jesus, I'll serve. Okay, Jesus, I'll, you know, sing along with the songs on a Sunday morning. That's not what cleanses us. What cleanses us is submission in our hearts to him, believing in who Jesus is. So Judas has his feet washed by Jesus knowing that he was already going to betray him. And so Jesus says, you're all cleansed, but not all are clean. Because he knows that unless you accept in your heart the washing of your feet, not just through your actions. Does that make sense? We've got to believe this in our hearts. Because he goes, otherwise, you're not clean. So the difference here isn't that there are those that, that sometimes mess up and then, and then aren't clean, um, and, and then they've got to get clean again. No, no, you're already clean, I'll just wash your feet. But there are those who are not clean at all. Because they've never submitted to the righteousness that comes through Jesus. And this is where a scripture like Matthew 7 verse 21, which is a very difficult scripture to understand sometimes, comes in. Because Jesus says this, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, who responds to the gospel, the only way we can do the will of God is by the will of God. The only way we can do the will of God is by surrendering to Christ through out of righteousness. Everything that doesn't come from faith in Jesus is sin. So without the righteousness of God, everything outside of that is sinful, no matter how good it might appear. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just listen to the wording there. What does Jesus say to them? Not, you know what, I washed your feet, but then you went and got them dirty again, didn't you? (laughs) No, he goes, I never knew you. And so I think that, and we're not the judge of this, this is God's place uh, and to judge. But what is true is that there are many people who do what Christians do, but never know him. They never truly come to a place of surrendering to the gospel and accepting the washing of their feet. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to part in me, let me wash your feet. Let me save you, submit completely to me. So this wasn't in Judas's heart. He never knew Jesus. He never had faith in Jesus. And we see this in those examples going back. Jesus says this though. It says, The devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. There's something amazing about knowing that you belong to God. What this scripture is saying is that Jesus is sitting at a table about to wash the feet of a man who he knows is going to betray him. But what gives him the courage to get up and do it anyways? He knows who he is. Hey, some people are going to betray me. I know where I come from and I know where I'm going if you wanna walk in confidence in this life, if you wanna work through betrayals, if you wanna love people even though it's risky and even though you can get hurt, what gives you the courage to do that? In other words, what gives us the courage to do what the next verse in Scripture says, which I'll look at in a moment, where it says that Jesus said to them, even as I have done this to you, do this to one another. How do we love each other and show each other the same kind of grace and forgiveness and encouragement that Jesus shared in that moment? How do we wash each other's feet in terms of reminding each other of who we are in Christ and, 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 and helping us get our, our eyes fixed on Jesus even more clearly? How do we do that? What gives us the strength and the ability to do that? Knowing where we come from and knowing where we're going. I know who I, know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. I know where I'm going to. And so we can face every single thing. And what it does is it allows us, when you know who you are in Christ, it allows you to be the least. It's the key to humility. When you're fighting for like significance, oh, I just wanna be significant. Can, you just, can everybody just look at me so that I can feel significant? Can I just do stuff that'll make people talk well of me so that, so that I can feel better about myself? That doesn't sound very humble, does it? But when you know where you come from and you know where you're going, you're willing to be the least. You're willing to say, "Hey, anybody got some dirty feet today?" <laughs> My wife and I actually did this when we were leading a, a youth team. And uh, John, were you there that day? I've washed this guy's feet before. <laughs> some of you are like don't put that image there. But we were at a at a, at a youth at a youth. Uh, leaders camp that we ran with all of our leaders, about 60 or 70 people. And we were just, my wife and I were so overwhelmed by how faithful the guys had been and we wanted to honor them. And so we did it, we got some water and we got some towels, we got some soap and we literally washed all of their feet. And I can't tell you what it was like in that room that day. Not a single person wasn't crying. Everybody was in tears. And we didn't say anything, we just washed their feet. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Not just the act, but the attitude. When we begin to honor and love and forgive and treat one another the way that Jesus treats us, what gives us the freedom to consider other people's more important than ourselves? Knowing where you come from, knowing where you're going. Remember Bill Johnson saying, when we strive for significance, we undermine our significance. I love the fact that Jesus rises from supper. He gets up from the supper. If you've been sitting at the table with Jesus, if you know if you 've been eating with the king, then you can get up to wash anybody's feet because you already know where you come from. You come from the table of God accepted in him. Final scripture this morning, John thirteen14. Jesus just finishes this off. I'm going to read verse 35 as well. It says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, Jesus says, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I've washed your feet, you you ought to wash one another's feet. A new commandment I give to you, that you love each other. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that beautiful? If we know that we're cleansed and we allow Jesus to wash our feet and we're able to wash each other's feet able to cover up for each other's weaknesses, able to protect and to guard and to guide and to help and to disciple and to journey and to, and to, and to protect each other's hearts, to, to help one another on this journey together. Let's not be a part of that very big segment of religious life that is cynical and, 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 and against and antagonistic and, and constantly criticizes and breaks down. But let's be a people of faith together who look at each other and even though we might see some dirty feet, we say, hey, I'm going to help you wash those. Even though we might see some errors in people's lives, even though we might see some shortcomings, and I have them, tons of them. Let's look at each other and go, I'm gonna help you wash those feet and walk according to who you are in Christ. I'm gonna help you see that as much as I can. It's a powerful image and an attitude that we are to have. And ultimately, it's only possible if we let Jesus wash our feet. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in his grace. Put your faith in the cross. And understand that you are now clean. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.